Because I think one of the problems that we've got is that we're not like, early childhood education is not like anything else. So therefore, leadership in early childhood education should not be like anything else. I, I understand what you're saying about um, the principle and the, the resourcing, but why don't we look at this discipline in a unique way and understand the things that happen in children's lives One of the most important roles in the early education sector is the centre director, as well as usually being a nominated supervisor and individually responsible for ensuring the law and regulations are upheld in their service. Directors are also employee managers, often manage administration and a range of other responsibilities. The role is critical, but is it time to take a step back and ask, today, is too much expected of centre directors? I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. This episode, we take a look at the complex and crucial role of the centre director. Leadership in early education is unique. So how do we define that role? How has the role changed over time? Are directors expected to go above and beyond? And if they are, are they given enough support, resourcing and professional development? All right, so it's been a little while since it's been just the three of us having a chat. We've had some fantastic interviews over the last few episodes. The last few episodes have been quite heavy. I think we've tackled some really big topics with some really uh, amazing people. I really recommend going back and if you haven't had a chance at listening to those episodes. But a lot of the initial uh, first few years of the podcast were kind of the three of us just, um, I don't know if we should break the behind the scenes news to people, but you know, something falling through and having to quickly come up with a topic at the last minute that we didn't have to do too much research or preparation for, which is kind of where we landed tonight. But these episodes are often, well, the most fun for at least for me, where I get to just kind of get to, to banter and chat with the two of you. It feels like a while since we've done one of those episodes. So that's kind of how we're approaching it tonight. Is that okay with, with you two, Lisa, Lisa and Leanne? It sounds like an excellent plan, given the level of preparation that we've all done for tonight. <laughs> Look, I actually have done my normal oh. massive amount no. of preparation. Lisa, yeah. why do you have to spoil it? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. All right. So um, I'm going to give a little bit of, I guess, context for where this discussion's come from. We've um, so the the kind of uh, the summary topic, which I probably call the episode, is are centre directors expected to do too much? So um, we've we've talked a little bit around the last few episodes. I think if we've had a theme, has been really kind of drilling down. I think on the work of educators and teachers, um, looking at well-being, looking at the work that's expected of them, and maybe starting to ask the question. Are we, are we in a state in Australia where we maybe are asking too much of people? And I think um, I was fortunate enough to attend a uh, an event uh, in Sydney a few, uh, probably last month, where uh, that was looking at research around educator wellbeing and particularly looking at approaches to identify and, and evaluate educator wellbeing. And there was a really interesting discussion, a uh, really interesting discussion I had with someone, which was um, uh, an amazing centre director who worked in a service in New South Wales who um, looked at, uh, it was like a, a sort of um, like a checklist or, or a, a, a sort of some online training you can do to identify particular areas of wellbeing for educators. And 
her thought was, um, you know, could we do this with families as well? And I kind of took a, I, I kind of sat back and I thought, you know, we're here at an event that's kind of all about educa- <clears throat> all about educator well-being. We're trying to find different ways to identify and evaluate educator well-being. And the centre director being the amazing person, she is immediately thinks, geez, how can I add some more work to my plate and maybe share this with families and identify that 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 uh, identify some some well-being issues with families and their work with their children. And and I kind of said, you know what? I kind of had this moment where I was like, aren't we doing enough? Like I think I said to this person, don't you have enough on your plate? Like, so if we look, you know, just at your teeth, your, your qualifications, your precision description, you're kind of there to work with, with children. That's your skill set. That's your background. You know, why do we always need to be adding additional, um, additional jobs to ourselves? And that kind of got me thinking, particularly in the conversation with Tamara, around educator, uh, on, <clears throat> are we too child centered? Kind of the other thing we talked about a little bit there, um, was the idea that maybe we're a bit too family-centred as well, that we're not spending enough time just thinking about that work between educator and children or, you know, centre director and, and, and children as well. Um, and I remember back from my time as centre director and a lot of those jokes around the that went around the traps and, and I don't know, these were um, things you heard as well, Leanne, but this it, it was almost kind of, we were almost joking, it was a bit gallows humour, I think, but you used to be able to go and list, you know, the, the, the 10 other unpaid jobs that were on top of your position description as centre director, the things you weren't really trained for, uh, you know, which you know, I've got you know, plumbing or cooking or God knows what else. But it was almost this joke that there were these huge additional responsibilities on a on a centre director. Um, and I kind of used to uh, join in the laughing around that now, but now I'm kind of actually asking that question of, well, is there a point when we need to push back and go? Do you know what? There are some wonderful things that centre directors could do, but are they? Uh, do they have the capacity to take that on? So that's kind of be the, the context of the discussion tonight. But I thought we might start on a, you know, kind of continuing on that maybe lighter stream. I might turn to to maybe both of you. I might pick on Leanne first because I know you've been a centre director before. But if you, what, what's the uh, what's the one additional job that you think centre directors take on in an unpaid, uh, that's not in their position description that you think's a bit, uh, that, that kind of comes with the territory. It's a bit of a default additional. I've got a, I've got a couple of ideas. Uh, I think the the one that comes it, it part of it part of the remit is in with your job of developing people and and supporting people, but I think you become a, a sort of counsellor as well to um, staff. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about specifically to staff. I think yes. that in any leadership leadership role, you do do that. Yeah, you become a therapist. Yep. Definitely, um, and that's part of developing people. But sometimes that moves beyond your uh, own sort of capacity to to really manage that. Absolutely, yes, I would one hundred percent agree with that one. And something that I think you're right is in most leadership roles. I think there is a particular uh, additional element to it with centre directors because often the the teams you're working with are probably experiencing you know greater stress, even if it's just you know financial and. Um, the stresses of working, shift work, and that kind of stuff. I think that that role becomes a bit more acute with centre directors. Do you have one you've noticed, Lisa, that, that centre directors take on? Look, it's hard for me because um, I think a lot of what is in position descriptions is absolute bunkum and shouldn't be done by anyone. <laughs> but I've noticed that position descriptions are just broader and broader and broader. So to say, is there something that they do that isn't in their position description? No, I don't believe there is because the position descriptions are so big that, you know, like 
there's a million and one dot points just in position descriptions. You and know? often one that's, of the dot points is true. other duties as directed. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We have to love yeah. that one at Community Childcare. Anything else as directed by your manager. <laughs> Such a good one, that one. I mean, that was my favourite. Oh, that was a good one. I'm trying to think back to my time as a director and definitely one of the ones that was not in the position description when I signed up that I spent a lot of my time doing was uh, sent to cook because if the cook was away, they kind of you couldn't really pull uh, anyone out of a classroom and and I am not a good cook. I mean, a bit of vegetarian for a very long period of time can barely, you know, uh, could I could just about bake a spaghetti bolognese and a tuna mornay. I was amazed that the health department wasn't called in pretty regularly because it was pretty much those two dishes on repeat every, every time the cook was away for a week. I know the worst job I've ever seen a director have to do. They called yes. me and said, the bathroom is a mess. And I'm thinking, okay, why is the bathroom a mess? And they said, a possum got into the exhaust <laughs> fan. Oh, no. And so there was sprayed possum all around the bathroom. And it wasn't, of course, the children's bathroom. It was the adult's bathroom and so of course all the staff just expected the director to scrape off this dead possum oh my god (laughs) oh that's pretty rough that's very rough that's a tough other duty you know there's often those um the the roles of uh first responder to the alarm of you know when they're broken into that's always the the additional one and who who else is going to do it Absolutely. And the other the other one we often see for a lot of centre directors is the administration, so managing the software. Um, I think, I, hopefully, I could be wrong, I think that's starting, we're starting to see less of that and they're starting to be carved off into a separate role. But for a lot of, a lot of probably a lot of people listening to this to this episode today, they're, they're probably doing the dual role of, you know, directing and, and upholding the National Quality Framework, but also managing the administration centres. Mm, definitely. And maybe um, handing... Uh, applications for funding to politicians as they go to, um, you know, go to some sort of sector uh, advocacy evening, handing that off as they walk past the politician that might be speaking there. I feel that's one of my own experiences right there. (laughs) I did, in my vast preparation for tonight, I did look up various job descriptions and I've got to read you the two things that I think are the maddest in either of the, in any of the ones I found, and I'm trying like. Let's face it, I'm not a Christian, right? So this first one, I'm trying not to offend anyone, but I find it hard to read a job description that says one of your key roles is to display the fruit of the spirit, as described in. Galatians 5, 23. What? I think you've nabbed a script from the uh, Handmaid's Tale there. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's an actual job description of a current service operating in Australia. You do get 10% above the award wage for doing this, mind you. Oh, my goodness. To display the fruit of the spirit as described in Galatians 5, 22. So it's like a a test as well, so you have to know that passage. So you have to have gone and done (laughs) the research to know what that is. Well, yeah, I then went and did the the research. And I'm pretty sure that most directors would be able to do it, you know, easily. Um, But uh, it's – sorry, I'm just having to Google it again because I've forgotten what it is. But it's – uh, it's the 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 nine attributes of a person or community living in accord with the Holy Spirit. 
So it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, they're all nice values yeah. and, and well, attributes, I aren't they? Most directors have got them anyway. That is like the original yeah. value statement, isn't it? So everyone goes on yeah. about modern approaches yeah. to mission, vision, and values. It's all it's all there. Yeah, yeah definitely. But the other one is in a sample position description from an organisation that I won't name, but who has yet to discover about paywalls with their website, so they keep, you know, abs- absolutely accidentally. Um, letting out their stuff for members to everyone else. Um, And what they've said is that the centre director is responsible for setting the tone of the facility. Mm. That's challenging. Yeah, I thought so too. Wouldn't have happened in the old days. No. I'm going to put you in charge of setting the tone for this podcast, Lisa. (laughs) Oh, please don't. I'm looking forward to that performance meeting. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of the the expectations around leadership, isn't it? Like I think some of these things are what the the expectation. Badly worded. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But I think that they there's the expectation of this sort of overarching leadership stuff. But then also, you know, when you're cleaning up possums from <laughs> bathrooms, that goes beyond the leadership. Essentially, the leadership remit, to in my view. <laughs> And, but it also kind of that kind of shows the difference between uh, you know being a director of an early education and care service and being in an equivalent position in as a captain of industry. Can you imagine someone who was you know the head of an organisation, you know the CEO of a corporation, etc., being expected to be the one that would clean the possum? bits off the wall <laughs> unless it was like a possum recovery organization of some kind but even i, 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 I think but the closer analogy there probably lisa is like a principal of a school would the principal of a school be doing that so they're both educational institutions these are both the leaders of educational institutions there's a very very strong argument that nominated supervisors under the nqf have far greater legal responsibility than principles of schools in terms of their individual legal liability for what happens at the centre. I don't think the principal would be uh, on possum duty. Yeah, precisely. So maybe, um, so there's probably a good segue there. You said earlier um, when you are talking about kind of the vagueness of some of these position descriptions. So some of the issue that maybe as a sector we don't actually have a good rock-solid description of what a centre director is or does. Could, would, would do either of you want to have a stab at if we had to create one? What, what would be the the simplest definition of a centre director? Um, just before, like, I, I think part of the problem is the amount of, as, I think part of the problem is, is how position descriptions are actually drawn up. So often I hear directors who are, on their way out and want to advertise for their replacement, saying, has anyone got a, a director's job description to share? And people all share theirs. And gradually people, like someone with a bit of human resources background, will write one up and then people will copy that and then add in additional things. But to me it's kind of the same uh, process as a philosophy. If a director can't, say, you know, in in seven or eight dot points what it is that they're doing, 
then we're expecting too much of them. If your philosophy can't be easily expounded by your Cert three staff, then it's a crap philosophy. You know, I just don't think adding in more and more dot points into a director's role is the way to go. Well, it also depends on the difference between a director and a nominated supervisor, doesn't it? So mm, isn't yeah. that, you know, might we have um, people who are directors who are not nominated supervisors and and therefore that's going to be a very different role as well? And I, I agree with you, Lisa, it's, it is um, coming down to some of the, the simpler um you know, keeping it very clear. But then say you said, okay, you're responsible for compliance. That might be one dot point, but I would not actually like to see that extrapolated out to its fullest. Um, to, to its fullest uh, <laughs> but people do, Leanne. I've got, I've got director's statements in front of me where they say compliance and then almost go through the whole NQF to point out what bits you've got to do. They just attach but the NQF. It, yeah, but if it comes, I think in some ways too, that comes down to the complexity of that um, that that particular responsibility. So what does compliance actually mean and what does it look like? And it also looks very different across a whole range of organisations with different governance structures as well. So compliance, if you looked at it from perhaps, um, you know, maybe one of the centres that I might have been director of in the the 1900s, which was... Um, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> which was a neighbourhood children's centre. So my responsibility was to the committee and compliance to me might have been very different if I'd had seven other reporting lines up to a CEO. And it, it just, to me, it just looks different. And also the sort of training that we have around something like compliance, um, what yeah, really what that means in different organisations. So that, I think that's where the, the complex descriptions of what that means come comes into play because you might be compliant with the, the national law. However, in the eyes of the seven reports, are you compliant or have they been assured that, that you are ensuring compliance? So we're talking about attention here, Leanne, with the difference between the role meeting the requirements of the National Quality Framework and the role meeting the requirements of whatever particular approved provider they're working with. Yeah, and if and and you might as a as a leader, you might say, okay, I can see all of you know everything here. We're compliant because I understand the regs, I understand the law, I understand work health and safety. See, we're talking about a superhuman here. I understand everything that's going on, and I can. I feel assured of that. However, if you're in a different sort of organisation, you might have, um, as you're saying, Liam, all of the administrative aspects of that role to fulfil around um, in, around reassuring every single person up the line that you are compliant. Absolutely. Well, I think it. I, I think that that yes, exactly that that distinction between the NQF and pre provider create some of the issues because I think I asked probably four or five minutes ago, what do we have a definition of the centre director? And none of us have really created one because I don't know that there is one definition of the role, right? Because there's so many different models for how centres are operating. So even if we look at, you know, as the single standalone service that might be working with a voluntary committee who have no uh, professional knowledge of early education versus, you know, being part of a huge, um, uh, you know, a, a huge provider, those two roles 
are very, very different, aren't they? But are they, are they commonalities? Are there things we can say, you know, no matter where you you are, no matter what your management structure, are there things that are common to the to the role of a centre director? Yeah, I think there clearly is. Like, you know, legally you are, if you're also the nominated supervisor, you're responsible for to conduct the role of the nominated supervisor. You're responsible for WH&S issues. You're responsible for um, uh, management of staff. You're responsible for administration and you're responsible for financial administration. Um, you know, you're responsible for uh, uh, communication within the sector and within the service and externally to the service. So I think that every, you know, like I think that's pretty common kind of things. Then you'd throw on, are you also the educational leader? Are you responsible for for that? Um, but I don't think that that goes nearly far enough because most directors that I've ever met live and breathe this centre they're responsible for the paint colour that's chosen to put on the walls, you know. Yeah, but how did that happen? How did that happen? Because this is where I think there's some real challenges within the way that leadership and management unfolds in, in early childhood settings. And how did that happen? I think it's it's... Can I give my two cents I, here? I don't, Okay. Okay. Sorry. I'll just get. I'll just finish what I was thinking there, and then you. Sorry, girls. I I think it's actually happened because of the role of recruitment consultants in the sector, so that when you go to to recruit from, you know, using a recruitment agency, they put a, a lot more into job descriptions than what was already there. I think it's because each additional piece of legislation that gets passed on the sector gets put down to directors. I think it's because we see directors as like a principal of a school, but without the backup staff. I think it's because what we expect everyone in the sector to do has grown enormously with professionalisation of the sector with more things like the National Quality Standard, and that's had flow on. See, I agree with everything you've just said, Lisa, with one very significant exception, which is I don't think oh, people... Good. <laughs> I don't think people see the role as similar to that of a school principal, and I think that's actually one of the the issues we're facing. So I agree; I, everything you've just said is absolutely correct. I, what I think it comes down to is an old fashioned view that we haven't yet shaken off or adapted or moved on from, which is this view that it's you know the centre director role is kind of more about being um, you know a, a lovely person who is who's being very helpful to everyone who is helping children and families and educators. And it's particularly probably rooted in an, an old school view of, you know, childcare and inverted commas that was being done by predominantly women and um, who were just expected to do that kind of caring work, not just with children, but with the adults in those communities 
as well. And I think we've moved the, the, the professional structures around that have changed. So we have the national quality framework now, we have the nominated supervisor uh, role, and we have far more professional approaches to the sector as a whole. But I think we still have this, this hanging on view of, um, of what, the, what those roles used to be like. And they and there just isn't is this there is this I think fundamental view to the sector that they're actually not similar to principles. Whereas I would argue that's actually a significant change we need to make, and we need to see them as leaders of uh, professional institutions. They need the same level of administrative and staff and 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 regulatory support that principles get. I think, in my I, I think maybe. Because I think one of the problems that we've got is that we're not like early childhood education is not like anything else. So therefore, leadership in early childhood education should not be like anything else. Absolutely. And I, I, I understand what you're saying about um, the principle and the, the resourcing. But why don't we look at this discipline in a unique way and understand the things that happen in children's lives in their very early years and the what, what happens to families in the very early years is like, this is like the entry-level job, you know, a family in the early years of a child's life. So that family needs all of the support and all of those um, all of those things that are going to set them on, on a bit of a path for the future. It's in partnership with the centre. And there's all of these myriad of things that are taken on by the director, more and more things. And when did it become such a thing that the director had to choose the paint colours or had to clean up the possum or whatever? Well, they've always had to, I guess we'd argue that they always have had to do those things and the job becomes more complex. And really what we need to do is just kind of put a big a big stake in the sand and say this job's <laughs> different and it needs to be funded differently and it needs to be supported differently and it is the most important job. And I know that's very sort of pie in the sky but, and and obviously the the view that we have that we need to be comparing ourselves to other other sectors in order to raise the wages and all that sort of stuff. At some stage, we're just going to have to say, you know what? It's just so unique. Just have to fund it properly and give people the right wages so that we can do our job. Yes, yes. Can we make <laughs> round of applause? Of everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the more the more I research leadership in early childhood education, the more I see this complexity around the role, and the and and you know you do see people really um, working themselves beyond what is a reasonable capacity, and yet there are opportunities to not share that leadership but to create this kind of collaborative um, process of of developing a centre and, and doing those things. And that that is being done by many, many people. But somewhere along the way, we've kind of gotten the idea that there's one person who's responsible. So here's my maybe slightly, uh, well, I don't know if it's controversial, but here's my my uh, a specific example I guess I wanted to raise. This was the example I raised. This is, I guess this is the second half of the story I told at the start, which was around sitting in that uh, PD event talking about, you know, why why is the centre director adding another thing to their plate? And what, the, what I continued with that was, was that one of the things that's kind of always worried me, and I, this definitely concerned me when I was a centre director, is that families will often come to us with specific challenges and specific problems that are quite um, complex or quite difficult. 
And speaking for myself as a centre director, you know, my background is in my qualifications are with early childhood education. I'm trained and qualified to teach and educate young children. I'm not trained or qualified to be a family support worker or to be a, you know, a, um, you know, a, a social worker or, you know, but we're kind of, there's this invisible push within the sector. And you were sort of talking about that before, Leanne, to take that stuff on and because family, because the, the very nature of the work we are doing, which means we are closely enmeshed in the work with families and often we are the best, you know, often we are, I don't want to say the best because I think that, that, that adds to that invisible pressure, but we are often one of the first people who may be able to detect particular warning signs when families are struggling, but we're not qualified to do that work. So I don't know what the answer to that is, but my, my question was, look, A, should we be taking this on because it's it, it, it's it's on top of, you know, an already ridiculous, you know, 90-page uh, full of dot points position description, but... We're just also that's not what we're that's not what we're there for, and do we need yeah, to? But Liam, who is trained for that? Who is there for that? Social workers, family yeah. support workers. Oh, there are people. Yes. Oh yeah. There are people qualified and to do, you do know that. How many of those there are in the world? You know, you're in a unique position in that you're having a role with a family at the point they become a family, and some of those families will survive and flourish and some of those families will go downhill. And however much you think there are structures around for those families that are going downhill, there isn't. So I can't see how you could possibly support the early education and care of a child without looking at how the family's going. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that. that. Yeah, I think, but I actually think there is a certain amount of training for that in the in the qualifications that that are studied and then that becomes a reality but it's from my perspective if it's more about understanding when you can do that and when you have to triage it off to somewhere else I know there's not that not that many places to to do that but to not take on so much that is that we're not really trained or skilled trained trained for or skilled at I, I do think there's a there's a real tension here which needs to be unpicked, and I'm glad we've kind of got to it because I, I don't necessarily disagree. No, actually, I do disagree with everything you, both both of you have just said. And I'm going to come out and say it oh, because yay. so we've so let, about seven minutes ago we just asked the question of how have all these additional things happen, and you two have just answered it's because oh but 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 how can we not do that? How can we but. Uh, Leanne, I, I don't remember getting any training in how to support families' complex um, issues in terms of uh, a whole range of issues in my certificate three or my diploma or my teaching degree. You're right, there's some that, that kind of happens ad hoc in that work, but I wasn't trained in that. And there's an argument that people who are not trained in this work doing it can cause more harm than good. But let's I know you're going to want to pick me up on that point, so let's come back to that in a, in a, in a minute. But there, the, the question here also has to be, Centre directors are a, not trained or qualified to do it necessarily. Some may be, and we should say there are, there are certainly some out there who maybe have that training and, and good luck to them. They would be amazing people. But they're also not paid, they're not supported, and they're not given additional resourcing to do that work. They're hired and trained and qualified to lead teams of educators working with children. So why are we... And look, and I'm being... Deli- and I, I'm, I'm not suggesting we turn families away, and I'm probably being deliberately... Um, stubborn here to to raise the point because i think it's just one of those things we don't talk about in the sector but why 
is this the centre? So, Lisa, I agree with you that there's probably not enough support out there for families, but why does that become our responsibility to fix? Why is it always the early education sector that has to work around all the other failings in society? Why do we have to be open from 7.30 to 6 to fix a workforce system that doesn't support families to work effectively? Why do we also now need to pick up the slack on a social system that isn't supporting families? Yeah, okay. I agree. Oh, did I win? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, that's been the early education show for this fortnight, everyone. We'll, uh, we'll be back. We'll be back. Never. <laughs> and I think that that um, our lack of preparation, um, except for Lisa, of course, in the preparation, <laughs> well, maybe my lack of preparation, uh, is sort of, you know, coming across as a narrative on um, the free association that's going on here. <laughs> but, but I do. I, I think it. The, the agenda gets really clouded and there are things that really matter in in an early childhood setting. And I do think that the, the, the business of um, thinking about community and thinking about families is an important part of, of that um, responsibility. Maybe we could let a few other things go. Like yeah. possum, possum cleaning up, Judy. Although one of the preparations I did for um, this session was I asked Gabe Connell, who was is the um, deputy president of the IEU Early Childhood Section um, in New South Wales, I asked her for part of her statement that went to the recent wage case or the wage case that's just still being decided, where she looks at what, a teacher, not a director, a teacher was responsible for prior to 2012 and what they're responsible now. When you look at some of it, you just go, oh, yeah, that that does put more on you. Like, I'll just read a few of them. One of the roles that a teacher has to do now is to check the UV rating for the day and record, record it in order to plan when to be inside or outside. And she just said prior to 2010, the safety check was visual and not recorded. And that's true. We didn't go to websites and look up, you know, what it was. You'd just look out and go, well, it looks a bit hot out there. Maybe we shouldn't go out there, Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, Yeah, but it's actually recorded now. So there's another administrative process that's sort of stuck in with the compliance. Yeah. And... Then there was, like, changes in the actual teaching. She said that outdoor programs weren't seen as important and it was mostly, um, she's talking from a preschool perspective, but children were just let out to play, you know, like that was, like there was no, you know, um, uh, intentional teaching on behalf of the teachers. There was no, um, you know, none of that. Go on. Okay, well... (laughs) Then I'm biting my tongue. like signing into the room and signing out of the room so that now, you know, the, a teacher has to check that, you know, the room leader has to check that sign in, staff sign in and out every time that they leave the room, whereas staff never had to do that. Then she talks about the things that we've talked about a lot, like they've got to respond to emails and alerts from families on via software throughout the day, whereas... Before, you know, there wasn't even emails that families could contact you on. So communication from families was verbal as they dropped the child off and that was it. 
you know, now we've got communication books and medical forms and, um, you know, casual staff handbooks and medical plans for aspirin anaphylaxis. And, like, I, you know, ideally love our regulations, but you can imagine just all of that being added on bit by bit to what a teacher does and then extrapolate that to a director and, wow. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's, it's part of, I, I wonder if the way we can sort of square this circle we've sort of raised tonight is that we're actually all, we're actually all right. So we're right in the, in the idea that there is, um, that probably centre directors are not um, trained, qualified, or, or probably given enough resourcing or, or, or pay to do it, but that they can play an incredibly important role in the lives of uh, in, in supporting families and, and truly being you know services to the community in that way, but is it just that we we can't we can't do both? So if we're gonna if we're gonna have that as an expectation for the role, then we need to start supporting centre directors in a far better way to do. That. Mm. So the, the idea is that surely is that we're both right, and the centre directors can and should be doing that, but not until or that to do that properly, there needs to be a whole range of support behind that. Yeah. Yeah, and and a lot, I guess, a, a lot more that sits underneath that, which is the sort of stuff that we've talked about before: professional development, pre-service training, um, the the capacity for compliance to be managed differently, um, rather than the the many things that Lisa's just listed there uh, that that need to happen, and the sort of time and and resources that are needed to undertake the unique role of for example, a director or an early childhood teacher or an educator or whatever, that there is that resourcing that's available to them. Absolutely. Do we think that's likely to happen uh, anytime <laughs> in the future? Let's not answer that or we'll get too depressed. But maybe as we start to think about wrapping up, is there, if we could, I, I might go one of each of you in turn, maybe Lisa first, if, if there's you know, something you could change for centre directors tomorrow, if there's a particular aspect of either their role or the systems around it or the NQF or whatever, what is there something you think you could, that you would change that you think would improve the ability either either to take things away from centre directors or improve their ability to take on more roles? Look, I think if directors didn't have to battle with resourcing on top of everything else, it would be a lot easier so if there was enough resources for them to employ, employ assistant directors when needed, if they had the right amount of administration staff, if they had, um, you know, if they didn't have to track down that, you know, what happened to that application for that family, all of that stuff is in incredibly time-consuming. So... Proper resourcing, proper funding, I think, would be the key to making the role more manageable, coupled with that, you know, cutting down of the job description into something that actually made some sense. Absolutely. Leanne, do you have anything in mind? Um, well, I think what I would do is, like, if a director – are we talking about directors? Yes. Specifically? Yes. Okay, so if there's a director and the director works a five-day week or whatever, I think one day of their week, one full day should be spent in um, development, uh, professional development that encompasses 
the capacity to, well, the sorts of things around administration, the sorts of um, uh, skills and um, experience that's needed for them to adapt in complex environments, you know, this agile environment, and then the ability to enable others to take on leadership roles. So that's a that's a nice theory on its own, complexity leadership theory, which I love. And that should be spent, there should be one day spent every week on that and critical reflection. But Leanne, as soon as they do that, they've got to shove the rest of their job into four days a week. No, because you're adequately resourcing them. Oh, because no. you're okay. I'm building no. on your strategy. Okay, cool. Got it now. Right. Well, my one's pretty simple then. It's put you two in charge and, and sort this out. We've got to stop that, yeah. Um, look, my, look uh, you, you, you two have taken the, the good ones, which is you know better resourcing and support and then more time for, for the director to do things that are outside, I think, probably what we may call the busy work or what I you know, sometimes call the operational work um, of, the, of the centre. A couple of things I would probably add here is one um, – and this is uh, this is not a simple fix, but I think it's probably a greater acknowledgement from people who don't work in centre director roles, and particularly in management roles above centre directors, an acknowledgement of how difficult and complex and unique that work is. You're you're absolutely right, Leanne. That we, I think, one of the reasons we struggle with understanding the role is there isn't a very there isn't a good analogy for the role, and I've fallen into the trap, as you rightly and very gently pointed out, Leanne, of comparing it with a school principal. But I think I think as humans we kind of need something. It, it's very hard for us to to um, to pick up an entirely new paradigm or something without something to compare it to. It's you know it's it's this that's a bit like this, and and you know even I've fallen victim to that. So one thing would be you know insisting that people in senior management level CEOs, particularly those without early childhood backgrounds, have a really good understanding of how difficult and challenging um, and how unique and and, and uniquely. Uh, uh, diverse the role is, particularly you know, in, in, even if we just looked at the requirements of managing the NQF, that in itself I would argue is probably a full time role. But on top of that, you know, they're they're managing staffing, they're performance managing staff, they're uh, you know dealing with all the you know the family all, all the issues which which you, you can fit under the NQF, but of far more you know operational and day to day management work and acknowledging and, and celebrating. The, the centre directors you do work with are really important. I want to take a moment here, given we're having this discussion, that, you know, I'm really fortunate in the work I do to work with, um, you know, five amazing centre directors who are incredible leaders and unique leaders in their own right. And I just wish the system was much better at acknowledging the incredible uh, the, the incredible work they do. Um, but I'll acknowledge, you know, Mel and Juliana and, um, and uh, Lisa and Mary uh, and um, and Claire uh, today as I'm recording this because I do think we need to get better at acknowledging how amazing that work is and that they do uh, incredible things and that really we need to make sure that that's yeah not tied to a particular model of how we think about leadership and that, that people who take on those roles and look I just got to, I remember back to first taking on the centre director role and having no uh, very little idea of what I was doing and you just have to pick up so much of it as you go along and you have to, you, you connect so much of your heart and mind to that centre and I can just vividly still remember that you would wake up, you know, sometime one o'clock in the morning worried that I had to, did I check that last cot room before I left and, you know, there's, there's yeah, did they and, sign and out? Remember, and remember how you got to that role and how much training you got to go into that role and how you mentally prepared for that 
and no. um, how you no. had years of <laughs> no. working your way into that in a career structure. Man, you're giving me a panic attack. Can you stop, please? <laughs> <laughs> but that's like when we talk about principles, you know, that's, that is actually, there's a structure around that and there's, there's a, a, a sponsoring, a, you know, there's, there's all these things that happen. And how old were you when you had your first director's role? Oh, God. Are you taking a freak out if I provide that answer? I think I was 22. Well, yeah, I was 23. So, oh, you know, that's that's right. We Too too soon. And um, sorry, I know you were kind of rounding off there, but it just <laughs> struck me that the sorts of things that you wake up thinking about in the middle of the night oh, never even God. entered your mind when you were 22 usually. <laughs> I think back to myself as a 22-year-old, I wouldn't trust myself now to catch a bus to work, let alone run the centre. <laughs> But that's but that's the whole thing, isn't it? You've got this community around you that really supports you. Like I just shake my head thinking about the stuff I said to parents at that age, <laughs> and I just and and I think to, I think to myself, you were so patient and kind, and I did not deserve that. <laughs> I just used to pretend I knew what I was talking about. And I think yeah, some of them bought it. We did because they knew that you were trying to do the best you could. <laughs> Isn't that what every parent wants? <laughs> a director that's trying hard. <laughs> that Leanne, she tried very hard. She's just such a good trial. <laughs> Think of the directors that are out there, though, that not only do all of this, but also have a, a very large management structure behind them, pushing them on occupancy rates and oh. profitability. And, like, I, I speak to some of those directors sometimes and they say it's just relentless. Like, yeah. you know, if we drop, you know, one child drops half a day, management is on the phone going, you know, what have you done about filling the role? Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's, that was sort of the some of the point I was making around the compliance is that it's it's made even more complex mm. because there's, there's the, you know, there's the different governance systems behind that, which are for the good and for, because there are other areas that, that are supported there, but it's also sort of sometimes an additional um, weight upon the, the mission of the service. Absolutely. Well, I think we might begin to wrap up there, but I think we can probably wrap up by saying a big uh, a big thank you to all the centre directors out there if you're listening. Yeah, or if you're, absolutely. Um, and one of the obviously key reasons we want to give centre directors more uh, support to do their role and more time away from doing it is because they would have more time then to listen to the early education show. Imagine how many centre directors just don't have time to listen to the three of us banter on like this every fortnight. That's a crime. You know how I said that there should be a day where the director, well, they could listen <laughs> to an eight-hour podcast from I us. think that's fantastic. How, how good would that be? I, I, what else, what else <laughs> what would you want to do with that time? You have been listening to The Early Education Show. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.
and and knowing when that line has to be sort of drawn. <coughs> yeah, I think there's. Oh my god, that coughs back, Lisa. It's reminding that me of having, my, reminding me of having to edit the social justice live episode. But I, I just muted my microphone. Well, it didn't work. It didn't work. Not <laughs> it didn't work. At least we've got our little bonus at the end of the episode now. I apologise. 